I want to take a look at John 3 this morning. Story of Nicodemus. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. Lots been made of him coming at night when it wouldn't have necessarily been seen publicly. But I think it's interesting that a man who's got questions at least showed up and had the courage to go say, I don't understand all that's going on here. In fact, it's intriguing to me, you know, of the Pharisees, um, you can ascertain certain things, and if him being a part of the Sanhedrin, um, there would have been these connections that you would put with this man's life. You would say he was a man of maturity, he was a man of leadership. Uh, later on, we're going to see he's called a teacher. Uh, also, that he would have lived a, a, a disciplined life. The Pharisees had a, a lot of outward code about them. They also believed in angels and the resurrection, so he would have had some awareness of things. When he saw the miracles, he would have believed that this could happen. But when he sees it happening, it's something that triggers thoughts in his mind, and he's going, what's going on? And the fact that he comes to him and says, we, is kind of interesting, because in Jewish culture, the, the, the uh, testimony of two established something. And so when he's making a declaration, we see this, he's, he's treating it as fact. And he's, he's making a declaration that uh, we've concluded this has got to be from God. So what's going on? In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. This is intriguing to me because here's a man who is living a very tight religious outward code, and yet Jesus is declaring, you've got to be born again. Now, if he'd gone to the Samaritan woman in the next chapter and said, you, you need to be born again, she's going, yeah, you're right. There need to be some changes in my life. Outwardly, Nicodemus would not have been making those declarations. And yet Jesus is still coming to him and saying, you must be born again. Nicodemus reacts, how can a man be born when he's old? Can't enter a second time into his mother's womb? I tell you the truth, no one can, Jesus says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of and the Spirit. This, <laughs> this is one of the ironies of preaching. There are times you don't understand all you know about this. This is one of those phrases. I wish I could tell you with authority this is exactly what this means. I don't know that. I'll give you my best. <laughs> um, I, I know the arguments. <laughs> I know that some will say, well, you've got to be baptized in water and then of the Spirit. Others will say, well, this is, you know, you know, you're born of water when, you're, when you have your natural birth, and then you have... Uh, maybe Jesus was blending the concept of, of, clean, of being cleaned, because in a sense, anyone that came into the Jewish faith went through a baptism. It was part of their culture. It was a declaration. 
I'm outwardly changing. I'm being clean. I'm being brought into the new. So when Jesus' disciples carry that forward and, and we participate in baptism, it's, it, was a very, it was a picture that was right there as a part of their activities. They're declaring, I'm a part of Christ. When, when that was embraced by the Christian church. But when, in looking at this, I want you to note some of the Old Testament passages and, and then a, a new one. But out of Ezekiel, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees be careful, and be careful to keep my laws. God's declaring through the prophet, there's a time coming when I'm going to bring about a cleansing in your lives that is different than anything you've known. It's not about following just this outward code. It's not about just washing yourself. But he says that your very deepest core being will be transformed and washed. There's a cleansing available to you. Most of us will declare when we come to Christ, something inside of us changes, and there's a knowledge of his voice guiding our steps and moving us into different behaviors and attitudes. And it's an ongoing thing that, you know, there's, there's a washing that continues through our lives. Titus says this, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. So, so there's a transformation that comes to us when we embrace Christ. The reason I look at this and say I think it is more than a, a water baptism statement is, you know, Paul makes a declaration, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and he's speaking with spirit in that moment. And so I wrestle with it. But I'll throw that out to you and just say, this is the best I can do. But I know what he's calling us to is, again, this sense of being born again, birth of the Spirit, becoming alive by the power of God. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. There is something that must transform interior for our salvation in Christ. He says, and this is the illustration that he gives to, to define this working with the unseen world. And because there is this challenge that comes out, well, what do you mean spirit and all of this? I mean, I'm more about what I see. And Jesus declares the unseen has power over the seen. And he gives this illustration from nature. The wind blows wherever it pleases. In other words, it has the power to go where it wants. Even though it's unseen, you know its effect. You know it has great impact. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. He's He's going, the unseen has a power and an impact that you can't challenge. The wind has an ability, even though you never see it, to affect things greatly. So he's saying, you believe in the unseen, 
<laughs> now take this a step further into the spirit world. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. Here's Jesus, you're Israel's teacher. You don't understand these things? Israel's teacher, you, you have a code. You've been trained in Moses. But there's a lot that's missing in regard to this. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. Jesus steps into the plural, just like we mentioned. Nicodemus says, we know that these miraculous signs are from God. And he was saying, this is an established testimony. Now Jesus is going, we make this declaration. Who's we? Throughout his ministry, he was saying, I have the witness of the Father, and that's enough. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. 8.18, I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. He says, I really don't care how many people are, are making declaration. He says, I have the Father's testimony. That's enough. He goes on, I've spoken to you earthly things and do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? He says, what I'm opening up is just the tip of the iceberg. There's a whole lot more. It's like Gehazi seeing the armies of the Lord. You know, he's blown away by such an incident. We have a lot more to see than what's been seen so far. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven the Son of Man. It's interesting that Jesus latches onto this phrase. He, he's the Son of God, and yet he's on earth and being declared, this is just a man, this is just a man, this is just a man. Miracle, 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 miracle. Well, he's an unordinary man. He's saying, I'm God and I am man. And so he's catching on to this phrase. and I don't know if you want to go back to Daniel's use of the Son of Man and, and one that would come again, but he, he, he hangs on to this and says, you know, you're seeing heavenly things out of the Son of Man. John 6, what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? It says, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Now, Father, this is John 17 in his prayer. Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Again, this is another one of those things I wish I could explain. I wish I fully understood how could God, how could Jesus be with the Father at the, in the beginning, its creation, as it's declared in Scripture, and yet be born of flesh. Um, that's more than I can handle. <laughs> I, have a, I believe it. I embrace it. But do I fully understand how that works? Not in this lifetime. Probably when I get <laughs> to be with him too, it won't matter. That's the goofy part of all these questions. 
He goes on, he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake of the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. He's already alluding to his death early in his ministry. And in this particular story, there's a, this strange interchange with, you know, the, the people of Israel have been complaining. Snakes got sent in among them. They were bitten and dying. And the answer that Moses was given was make a brass serpent, put it on a pole, and when people look to it, they'll be healed. Now, medically, does that fix anything? Not at all. But it worked. And so in the wilderness, they had this supernatural experience as a serpent was lifted up. It's, it, what I find int- intriguing is that the serpent has always been associated with sin. Jesus, when lifted up, was associated with sin. In some ways, there's this linking of the serpent with, you know, with, the, with the wrongs of the world laid on him. He's carrying this in symbolism of what's already been laid out many, many years before. But he, he is being lifted up. He says, when I'm lifted up, draw men unto me. Everyone who believes will have eternal life. You know, in this phrase, it, it's this idea, he's recognizing this connection that his life might, must be poured out so that we might receive eternal life. Our sin must be carried by him. And then the verse that we've all learned, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's appropriate that this is one of the first verses we learn. This whole passage in some ways is core to our teaching and our understanding of who Christ is. Not just an ordinary person, not just a teacher, not just a a, a noble person, but our Savior, the one who carries our sin, the one who came from God so that we might have fellowship with God. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is so, um, it's so sobering in some ways that it's, it's hard to embrace that people we love who refuse Christ do not have the, the confidence of salvation. People that we love that live good lives as we see from the outward but have refused the Son of God as being the only one from God, do not have the same confidence or opportunity of embracing what we have found in Christ. I hate to think of of neighbors whose lives are condemned. I hate to think of family members whose lives are condemned. What's declared in this passage is God loved the world, and sent his son so that we would not have to be condemned. And what's crucial for us is the message goes out and says, this is the source of salvation. Jesus Christ lifted up. 
Jesus Christ taking our place. Jesus Christ carrying our sin. It says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. It says, not everybody wants to hear this. In fact, living in darkness is a way of ignoring the goodness of what light is available. It says, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And that is the challenge in coming to the Lord and saying, I have been sinful. Will you forgive me? I carry this guilt. Will you wipe away my shame? I have these fears because of what I've done. Will you remove that from me? It says, whoever lives by the truth comes into light so that it may be plainly seen that what he has been done has been done through God. So this declaration comes out and says, you don't get anywhere except that Christ has started something in you. Romans 13 says this, the night is nearly over, the day is almost here. Let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Corinthians puts it this way, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day of light, the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed to fire and that fire will test the quality of each man's work. We have this mighty privilege in the Lord of being born again, of having his spirit dwell in us, and give us new life. We have the privilege of having our sins washed away because he has been lifted up. We have a confidence that says, I can walk in light, knowing that he is guiding my steps, directing my paths. I hope that's been your decision. I hope that a passage like this in a sense, inspires you and says, I'm so grateful for what he's done. If it's a sobering thing and says, I don't know, I don't have confidence in this, then you need to establish that. You need to call out to Christ and say, I trust you above all others. I ask you to wash away my sin. I ask to have your spirit established in my life. Stand with me, will you? If this brings up questions, I encourage you to find someone that you trust. In fact, don't leave (laughs) until you've done that. Otherwise, it becomes something to brush off and think, well, maybe next week we'll deal with it. Take care of it now. Walk in the light during the week that you can enjoy the brightness of what happens in this day.